Hey guys, and welcome to the latest episode of The Startup Diary. I am Harrison Mudge, and I am with my co-host, Adam Callow. I actually thought you'd be polite and introduce... And I was going to hold this big surprise to the very end, actually. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just quickly introduce myself then. I, I won't spoil it. Uh, hey, guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Startup Diary. If you're new to the show, this is where we're showing what it's like to truly build a startup business from bootstrapped, bit of C funding to VC. And this is not one of those success stories you hear everywhere. This is actually what it's like truly in the field, building the business. And today we have... We have a very, very special guest on the show, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Stephen May. Hey, very, very, oh, hi, guys. <laughs> wow, what do I say to that build-up? It's only downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> no just pressure. Like, just out of curiosity, have you noticed the intro that we did in the room for you as well? <laughs> oh wow I didn't eyeball that welcome well, well, Stephen May for those just listening we have a light box that says welcome Stephen May in the corner that's the first time so we've only ever pulled that out twice since ever buying it one was when we landed our first partnership with a client oh, and it wow. said welcome Baxi on the uh, it wasn't our first partnership the first time we used it uh, and then for yourself Stephen so for me <laughs> extremely selfishly I'm going to be trying to get some stuff off this podcast. Uh, I'm trying to surround myself, as always, with people that know more about stuff than I do. Uh, so selfishly, towards the end of this show, I want to be doing some work around uh, presentation skills because when you came to our meetup, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Harry, everyone in that room, it was just like a masterclass in presentations. Yeah. And I, I'm around presentations and presenters day in, day out. Uh, I learned a hell of a lot. So hopefully we'll get some of that onto the show. But before we get started, can you just give us a brief overview of who you are, I guess how you heard about the show would be interesting for us, what you do, and why. Wow, here goes. So, uh, first one was I came across a show. I was I offered to work for a startup for free whilst doing another job for six months. Uh, and I thought, I don't really know about startups. What really are they? Like, what is the definition of it? Uh, mm -hmm. How long do you have to be in that in order to still be called a startup? Because this company had been around for about four years from memory. And I thought, that's strange calling yourself a startup after four years. So dived in, looked at the definitions, rolled my sleeves up and plowed in for six months. Had a ball, to be honest. Just uh interrupt straight away what is your now as you've been doing your own startup you've been part of it how do you define a startup because i like we're a we're a six-year-old company we're still a startup you look at something like evernote they consider themselves like the 20-year the startup. like what do you class as a startup business as a, as a listener to 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 your podcast to start with but also looking around it's people who have the desire to grow and who are continually growing mm -hmm. rather than a company that's established looking for growth the whole company is looking to grow. The, like the, founders, the founders are trying to do it continuously. They can see a bigger opportunity or bigger success going forwards, and they know they've got to scale. Scale may be 10 to 20 people. Mm -hmm. It might be 10 to 1,000 people. It might be a lot more. But it seems, seems to be that it's a generational thing where people want to learn and want to get better ferociously. That's it's cool. not just like learning. It's not the incremental bit. try and squeeze out the little gains year on year. It's like foot down all the time from top down in the business velocity velocity yeah, that's is a good the thing to that's the thing that it seems everything seems to be acceleration and velocity i remember the first time i came across uh, the phrases incubator and startup sorry incubator uh, accelerator and startup and thought hold up 
an incubator is what you put a baby in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need to read a bit of this, and then I created my own uh, acronym buster, so that I could, as I was learning in in the industry or in a new industry, all those little three letter acronyms that get used every single day. Mm. When, yep. you, when your new starter starter comes in, they have no clue what you're talking about, and but, most most of them are not brave to put their hands on. They'll nod. <laughs> yep, not a problem. Yep, and they'll go and Google it very quickly. Yeah. What's a KPI? Quick, someone tell me. Actually, that's that exact thing happened with Cat the other day. We're going through the KPIs, and then she was just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, keep well, everyone that's listening, KPI, key performance indicator, in case we start dropping stuff on the show. I'll, I'll be honest, it, that, that, those three letters got thrown at me a lot of times in previous jobs. And all I knew is it was important. And I was, <laughs> and I was like, okay, just make sure my KPI is good, whatever that means. Just, just keep it good. It's just great when someone pulls you up on an acronym and you, and you know the answer. But what's really embarrassing is when you're using something like it's a skew, a skew, mm-hmm. SKU. Yep. And you ask the world who work in this in the industry mm. where you have individual products, and they're like, uh, stock counting unit, uh, stock keeping <laughs> unit. Uh, actually, I don't know. Let me Google it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one that the one that gets quite a lot of us in the office is uh, people have different ones for like end of the day. So on an email, it'll be like, oh, I'll get it over to your EOP. So end of play, then yep. there's like EOD, and then there was another one that Edie had. And CAP, close play. Yeah, all these things. Yeah. Like, why, why can we not just have one single end of day measurement? And thanks for tuning in to this episode of Buzzwords in Startups, guys. No. So, Stephen, back to yourself. So, what, well, are, you, what are you doing? Where, where did I start? Number one, um, my first real, real job after uh, being a professional triathlete many years ago well, I didn't know this back in, uh, back in the 80s when it was uh, uh, just a few people travelling around the world managing to scrape a living from it I you know, did that wow. uh, and then went to work in a small TV aerial company in Kingsland in Norfolk called Maxview um, just went as a marketing assistant quickly elevated my way over six years in that we went from nothing to a 92% market share of the UK aerial wow. industry. Wow. And part of my challenge in this podcast is to not continuously spew out stats and data because <laughs> it's all in my head, guys. <laughs> um, and then move from there to the world's largest entertainment accessory company. So everything that you had in the 90s from a, the world's first steering wheel that you tucked underneath your legs to play your uh, console games on N64 or PlayStation, that was us with an Interact brand. Um, through to the uh, Europe's first um, what fully wireless speaker on 863 megahertz, uh, those sort of things. And then when I was in that company, I was really lucky to uh, pick up some uh, designers to work with me as we were growing, because we grew from a small company to a reasonably sized one quite quickly. Um, picked up three designers, um, one of, or two of whom went on to do meteoric things. Uh, one who went to head up global design for Samsung uh, another one that still runs the same design company that they all worked for, and the other one was uh, Johnny Ive. Wow, uh, the Apple wow. guy. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, there's a lot for me to just <laughs> on the package that there that I just want to do. Just out of curiosity, so going from because I didn't know this about you, going from the the triathletes, the professional triathlete, what made you choose marketing? What was it around marketing? That's a one. That's a big leap. 
Good gracious. Okay. What made this... you change? Firstly, what made you stop being a professional athlete? Glandular fever, kissing okay. the wrong girl. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, what? trouble is when it's when it sucks all your income out. That's a real. That's problem. a real problem. <laughs> what was it about marketing that sort of attracted you to it? Whilst I was training as an athlete, I decided I'd studied marketing already, and I knew that as an athlete, I needed to use marketing to have an income. Mm -hmm. So I worked for um, voluntary for a month whilst I was in New Zealand training in each of these uh, a newspaper a radio station a tv station uh, then for someone called dominion breweries who are or were uh, kiwi lager uh, in new zealand and then i worked for cabris and okay. i literally just wow. i wrote a letter said i'm a professional athlete training i've got some free time i'd like to come and sit on the side of the desk of the marketing director and i wrote that to the mds of the companies or the editors of the newspapers and i and everywhere just said come on in that's amazing. That's sort of a throwback for me around one. Mm. You know what I'm going to go with this, yeah. don't you? In terms Timo. of Timo Bolt, just saying, you've just got to ask. Not, yeah. It's mm. people build up excuses, but you've just got to put yourself out there. And, and when you sit, sit on the side of the desks of those people, you learn what actually gets your attention. As and as a marketeer, yep. you kind of go, okay, that's what he's interested in. So if I write to him, here's how I get in. One of the things that I wrote was that I was working, I'd like to come in and work voluntary uh, because I'd like to take my experience back. And when I'm looking for a job and when I'm out of the industry, oh, sorry, out of the professional athlete area, that I've got something to fall back on. And all these people re could relate to it. And that's, I think, what got me through the mm. door to get a, a seat at the table. And then it's just a case of learning, being humble. The vast majority of those places paid for food and travel and kind of kept me during the daytime when I wasn't training or I'd be out for a couple of hours in the afternoon. But it was like a ride along and it was just superb, just superb. Someone listening to this now and they're thinking, how do I get that sort of access and experience? Do you think the same tactic works today? I'm not really sure okay. because the, there's, a, there's a lot, you've spoken about it in the show before, that um, bringing interns in, internships weren't really a thing okay. back in 1890 when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but doing, this, doing this sort of thing, the people that you're trying to get some work for or work with, they they appreciate they are founders and if you can talk to a founder in a kind of like a stock exchange thing you want to make an investment before mm -hmm. you get a return and if you can show the investment that normally gets the interest of the people and then you can start to move forward whatever your requirement is you can start the negotiation piece or kind of an understanding of their business but if someone was in the building services trade industry and wanted to get into expert trades i guarantee if they send you an email or a voicemail on an email mm -hmm. that A, you would listen to it because it was a different way of doing it or a video clip. Um, and if they talk to you about wanting to come and work in this in this business and give you an investment of two weeks or a month or whatever, and they lived in the Tamworth area, that you go, actually, this person's got balls. Yeah. yeah, well, bring them in, let's talk to them. And then they could sell themselves. It's a really good point. What well, One thing as you uh, spoke through your past in terms of the, the areas of work that you've gone into, there's sort of like a pattern in terms of you tend to have been involved in small businesses that grew very quickly. Do you tend to like gravitate towards the smaller businesses so you can have a larger impact or was that just oh, that, accidental? Well, that probably gets me to, where are we? 2001. Uh, 2001, I had taken every seven years, I took a year off work. I saved, yeah, saved really hard to do wow. it. And, and every six or seven years, I'd take a year off work. What's the logic um, behind that? Just just because you can get stuck in a rut so easily. 
and not be able to look up. And is that sort of communicated up to the employers in terms of like how long you're going to be in the company or is that an internal thing for you? Um, actually, I, I would talk about it occasionally, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it would only come up with people that accurately observe the dates because sometimes people can't minus six from dates. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or it would say uh, traveling or um, yep. or uh, gap period. So what what that meant was that I would I was going into businesses and looking at them in a different way and I was just working, you know, but it was just a conscious decision that, okay, I'd like to, I want something else. Yep. And that's that inner desire, um, the whole startup piece is what that, I think that's manifest, taken good best part of 30 years to manifest itself in me, but that's, it's always been there. The next part for me was then going from the world's largest accessory company. Um, I took a year out, was working in, or sorry, was traveling in America and got, um, uh, headhunted, I guess, from a company called Monster Cable, and that was my my moment of actually realizing that there was something that was exceptional that I could learn in the business, and that was the guy who founded Monster Cable, a guy called Noel Lee, um, just was a genius and crazy, um, and. Everyone that works, everyone's ever worked in his company will have one of two opinions. Okay. Mm. But if you walked polarizing into, character, if you walked into a business and said, "I want to learn," he would teach you, and he was an absolute master. Because everyone that worked in his business has gone on to do pretty amazing things in whatever they've done, whether it's from training, engagement, sales, product, um, channels, working with retail. But what gave him that skill? Because one thing that me. Personally, what I'm trying to develop is sort of my managerial skills, leadership. Like when you look back, what are the sort of like two, three things that stand out and go, that's why you were someone that I wanted to follow? Because he taught his audience. His audience might be customers. Yep. They might be internal staff. They might, they might be suppliers. But he taught everybody the what he was trying to do. He shared his vision in a way in which you just went, wow, and tagged along for the ride. So he created a program called M4. So mm-hmm. M4 was four things beginning with M. Good gracious, this goes back. <laughs> <laughs> um, mix, get the mix of your products right. Yep. Get the merchandising, get the management commitment, and then get the monsterization. So the management commitment you've spoken about before when you go into an organization, you have to know them as well as they do. You yep. have to understand their KPIs. Get the mix right. Sell the offer, sorry, not sell, <laughs> offer the right products at the right points price points or feature points for that customer by knowing their business then merchandise it place it in places and you can relate this to what you guys do here it's exactly the same the channels that the customer wants to talk to are your merchandising points yep Um, the management commitment nothing happens unless the boss of the company wants it to really wants it to if you try and do something where the it's not an objective of the boss good luck yep you won't be there next year and then the monsterization was the training part and we, we walked into places like Curry's and Comet in the UK, and we built training programs for guys on the floor, the colleagues, and we taught them how to offer. So if back in the uh, 2000, 2000, 2006 period, if you worked in a Curry's or a Comet, if someone bought a TV, we taught them, and this was mm-hmm. our teaching, to ask to, when they were selling every TV to every customer, you'd ask them, have you thought about, um, would you like to get the very best picture and sound performance for your new TV? It's a great question, that is. That took months to craft. Just for the listeners of the podcast, can you just repeat that, the exact question? Because I know, like you say, that took months to craft. Yeah. It's, uh, would you like to get the very best picture and sound performance for your new TV? Now, many people would say, that's a closed question. 
but it opens up two responses, which is yes and no. If the answer is no, you know what to offer the customer next. If the answer is yes, you also know what to offer the customer next. I took that from that business. We went through Beats headphones and I brought them over to Europe and kind of we went through all of that first year and it went on to its meteoric rise. But the brand only succeeded through the work that we did in the first two years to build the foundation of that, which was there was zero advertising. There was no marketing money spent. It was all on placement of product and teaching. So we teach, if you bought an MP3 player, the guys in the store had headphones around their neck. Mm-hmm. And you remember that as consumers. Yep. But we drove that. That's what we created. None of it was accidental. No, not at all. And you were buying an MP3 player. They'd ask you, would you like to get the very best sound from your MP3 player? And the guys are wearing headphones around their neck. <laughs> There's the next step. Listen to these. Yep. And all of that journey was about 100% offer. So my little favorite subject is around the podcast table. <clears throat> you walk into McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And you ask for, I ask for a Big Mac. So I say, Adam, could I have a Big Mac? What does the guy behind the counter say? Would you like fries with that? Okay, so um, Harry, I walk into McDonald's and say, could I have a Big Mac and fries? And what does the guy behind the counter say? They'll likely ask, would you like to make it a meal and get a drink with that? Okay, so (laughs) you have not sold anything, okay? You've just offered. McDonald's teach that process Mm. to happen. And... It used to be, it's not so much now because the systems have changed, but the way it worked was the stars on the badges, okay, to get one star, yep. you had to be able to read what it said on the screen and ask every customer every time. Okay? <laughs> That's how it worked. As soon as, you, as soon as you could do it every time and the manager was no longer listening to you because he knew you were doing it, yep. it, the activation would be switched off because they knew you were asking. The strike rate on an upgrade at McDonald's is 74%. So 74% of people that buy McDonald's buy the next thing up when they didn't ask for it. That, wow. gener- that generates over 38% of profit for wow. that business. From and, the offer. and their model would not work if they didn't offer it. So um, I could really dig into this, and I might, to be honest, is when you're going in and teaching the, the colleagues within Curry's how to do this process, so some of the things that we run here when we're doing onboarding and user testing, we get all the data because it's physical bits and bytes and we see it. Like how are you building a process when it involves watching people ask is it again just a data-driven play ask these questions see how it increases sales like how are you getting the feedback loop first acronym mbwa managing by walking about managing by by walking walking about about you what's important to the store manager so if they sold a hundred tvs this is kind of one of those things I really need to show you on a slide so it kind of becomes obvious. Yep. But uh, <laughs> if they sell 100 televisions, they're only making a relatively very low profit margin, yep. kind of 3.4 net uh, EBITDA. Okay. okay. Do we need to explain EBITDA? Yes, we do. <laughs> I think it we would do. be great for me. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, exp- I'll explain it from my knowledge, and you correct me where I'm wrong. It's uh, sort of uh, it's the earnings before interest, tax, and appreciation. So it's sort of like the net, net, net. Uh, money left in the business after all is said and done. Perfect, perfect. We'll go with so that. I hear you are often, I hear you say net, net, net. Net, 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 net all the net, way net. down. Net, 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 all the way down. That's what we're doing. So that, that's the cost of switching on the lights, owning the building, mm-hmm. hiring the people, and selling the product. Mm-hmm. That's how much money you make at the very bottom once you've paid everything. So they're only making that much. 
So if we can teach them to offer another product that has no acquisition cost per buying customer, so it doesn't cost anything to get a customer through the door because they're already there, mm -hmm. yet you're offering them a product and maybe they're buying it. Yep. Okay. So in Comet and Curry's in 2006 area, we were selling, we were attaching 43% of the time to any television, DVD, Blu-ray, games console, hi-fi system, cables. And I assume cables are a much higher margin product. Um, back in the day, in one year, it made $26 million worth of profit for Comet alone. Wow. Okay. So this is a loaded question. So I know where we're going with this. <laughs> How have you taken those learnings into what you're doing today? Because I'm really interested to get on the mics in terms of talk about what the, the business, the startup, the thing that you are living day in, day out right now. So we created, we had an idea, kind of, kind of a bit strange, but the background was um, I've worked on a product that is a camera that goes inside fridges. Mm -hmm. And every time you close the door, it takes a photograph. Mm -hmm. And it takes a photograph of contents of your fridge. It does a whole bunch of other things, and we can talk on another show about that because it's super cool uh, and very relevant uh, to the to today and the cons how consumers are trying to save money and yep. shop smarter. But what happened was we had some friends come around for gin and tonic. Uh, I went to the fridge, got the got the gin, got the tonic, made the drink, put the ice in, pulled the bottom drawer of the fridge open, and there was a shriveled lemon and lime in there. And I turned my half a mouth to a there's no lemon and lime. And, wait, and I screwed my face up like, this looks like this. Right? What lunatic. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I can't repeat the words, but she said, if you can fucking sort out the, uh, the fridge camera, then you can bloody well sort that out. So I sent myself a little task of kind of trying to resolve the problem. And it was just a kind of sidebar thing. Yep. Okay, so um, went and um, experimented with a dehydrator. So bought a dehydrator, started dehydrating fruit. Um, Casual. Yeah, just, yeah. So the, the whole thing was how can I make fruit that I can store in the cupboard and then have it when I use it? Yep. There's dehydrated fruit brands around, but part of their challenge is they're all brown mm. and they look horrible mm -hmm. um, and they kind of taste like a toenail. <laughs> oh, I can taste it. I can actually taste it. Um, so what we, what we did was spend four months wasting our time trying to do that mm -hmm. and trying to make it scalable. And it, it relates so much to what I hear on the podcast, the whole scalability and can you do this bit bigger and better and can you push it out there? And then I kind of looked at it and thought, in a bit of a rage one day, I picked up the dehydrator and threw it through a window. <laughs> it was a little bit hard, but um, it was trying to- I can't to imagine you throwing anything <laughs> through a window. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a wee bit challenging because we'd sat at the breakfast table that morning and as I'd poured out a, a bowl of Special K, this piece of freeze-dried- <laughs> Toenail. <laughs> no, freeze-dried, not, not uh, dehydrated. Freeze-dried strawberry fell out. Okay. And my other half said, well, how do they do that? And I kind of had this moment where you kind of look across the table and go, why the hell didn't I think of that four months ago? And then we started down a process which was to find out if you could freeze dry lemons, limes and oranges. And that process was another five months because globally there wasn't anyone that did it. And we had to find out why. So what did you learn? Because when you say it like that, <coughs> if it's in fruits, it's in Kellogg's, the things that are coming out, why has no one done this already? Because how you do it 
because lemons and limes oxidize, yep. they kind of go brown. So you've got to be able to do it in a certain way. So experiment after experiment after experiment after experiment, and we kind of got close. Mm-hmm. And then we went and talked to some people who actually make freeze-dried food for astronauts. Ah. Um, and we discovered a few things along that learning curve. <laughs> yeah, That's how the partnership with NASA started. I, I so wish we'd gone for the free ride. <laughs> um, but we, we kind of found a way and it, and it was, we had a eureka moment. So we went over and met the sommelier at the Paris House restaurant in Woburn Abbey and put it into his glass and he tried it. And he looked at us and he said, wow, this is amazing. This is exactly the same flavor profile as fresh. And I said, oh, wow, thank you very much. Walked out, and you couldn't imagine how much celebration there was in my car on the way home. It's like punching the roof. You know, it's so hard, there's a dent in it now. <laughs> um, and then I went over to um, sit with or have a conversation with um, a wine merchant locally. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize that they were the international wine merchant of the year. Um, and the guy says to me during the conversation, do the same demonstration. And he says, this is the biggest innovation in my industry in decades. Because I'd explained the whole attachment yep. story to him, which was that every time a customer buys a bottle of gin, you could offer the fruit because you don't sell the fruit and you can assume the customer doesn't have the right one. Yep. You can actually offer it and then attach. And all of that money is the incremental profit that you can get in exactly the same way I'd done with cables and TVs, in exactly the same way I'd done with uh, mobile phone cases with Tech 21 and Otterbox and Gear 4, um, and teaching an industry how to attach. When I built those numbers out for the supermarkets, looking at all of their profit margins, we could generate 44% more bottom line profit for a supermarket if they attached our fruits to only 10% of people that only bought gin. Just gin. Not against vodka or rum or anything else. Yep. Just gin. Wow. And that's where our journey has taken us. So our objective is to get onto clip strips, which hang down next to the main spirits in the supermarkets, um, and then see the customers pick it off the shelf and do the rest of the damn hard work that it'll take to get to building a success. So for the people listening to right now, where are you in that journey? So where are you? Um, products finished. Mass production is now underway on an industrial scale. Yep. Um, packaging's done. Um, first website's up, um, but not act, not kind of fully, com- it's there. Yep. It's there and it looks great and everyone says it's amazing. Um, we're in digital asset production, um, and then starting the marketing journey to building our community. What's the hardest thing to date that you've run into? Finding somebody that I can talk to, that can listen and challenge me and kind of shine a torch in the direction that we're going to be heading. And to be honest, that's so when we had our meetup, you came... I was sort of sat at the back and I've got like a, a, a notebook in front of me that I used on that day. We had seven, I think we had seven or eight people that came uh, from the community and all were just super transparent and honest and open with where they are in their business. Mm. And I was watching you present. I think we all had the same feeling, which is <laughs> one presentation. Again, we'll get into that later. The journey you've been on and the success you've had and the rate and the speed that you've done it is genuinely motivational for me when I saw it. I thought you're a guy that I want to spend some time with because I'm going to learn a lot. And we're trying to work out like how do we add value to you? I think one thing we picked up on is was that comment, which is uh, you need someone who's been there, done it, that you can shine the light. 
So how have you gone about doing that since we actually had that meetup? Well, the biggest motivation has been, I think most Friday, no, every Friday afternoon, there's been a post on the group going, hey guys, give us the update of where you all are. Yep. <laughs> I love that piece. Accountability. Yep. Accountability, that is just brilliant because I know it's coming. Yep. I've already made the calls. I know who I'm going to see. On Wednesday, I sat down with um, two people whom I'd wanted to ask to mentor me or, or guide me through and I finished my presentation to them and they sent an email which I shared in the group because yep. it was just like I can't believe this I went to ask someone for help and they were telling me it was brilliant they can't believe it it's fabulous they love it and I was like but I wanted your help <laughs> <laughs> so just tell me about when you're going to ask for that advice what do those conversations look like because I think there's so many people in the audience that will benefit from reaching out to someone that's either on the same journey two or three years ahead different industry and just share some why like how are you starting those conversations off what's the exact process you've been going through to find these people have you found them have you reached out to them and then what are those initial conversations look like I found them through kind of when you when you're prospecting for um, customers or potential partners mm -hmm. um, you see people that pop up maybe in LinkedIn of people also search for this person and it's a great tool to just kind of click on that also these people and go who's he who are they who are they when you don't know who they are um, as you go through that journey you pick up people that you didn't know about but that are in fields who are crossover to your area yeah and then just dig down who who knows them who's the second level contact who can I ask for an introduction and I go back to I went back to it's not in the notepad that's in front of me at the moment but I go back to my other notepad where you actually dictated a letter I think it was the one that you sent to Timo Bolt and you you taught you read it out loud uh, Ryan Serhan Ryan Serhan Ryan Serhan yes and that I rewrote that. Oh, brilliant. Okay. <laughs> and that's pretty much what I did. Okay, perfect. And, it's, and I've got the same response each time, which was, yeah, guys, have a coffee. And I, my reply is always, don't worry about a coffee because you've got to come out of your office and or I've got to travel down. How about we do a Skype call? Perfect. And that normally works. Uh, when they're trying to sell something mm -hmm. to me as well, it still involves me going down, so that's fine. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, go along that journey. I guess that, that sort of respectful of their time that probably goes a long way. From the, the meetup, what do you think about it? And honesty, I, I wanna know one thing I'm gonna ask you every person that's in our community that gets on the mics, and it's a heads up for the future people, is I wanna know one, what you thought about the meetup, what you think about the community, and what we could do better on the podcast. I have to be one of three things, which is humble, honest, and hungry. That's my motto, okay? Um, so when I came, my, my reason for coming was I wanted to be able to share some of my knowledge and experience because I know I could give something back and f uh, pay it forwards, which yep. you've said quite often on the podcast. And I thought, okay, this is a time for me to go and do that. Um, I spent my entire life doing stuff for free for other people, mm -hmm. and I've never really asked for favors. I'm the worst person in the world. My my partner, Jan, will tell you about this. I am the worst person in the world for putting my hand up and saying, help. I'll plow on and plow on and plow on and plow on and try to push it over the edge on my own. Yep. And that's kind of like a Superman syndrome, yep. you know? <laughs> or the God complex, as someone once said. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me. Um, but what I learned at the, at the meeting when I came was that, firstly, I came because I wanted to give something back. Uh, what I learned and what I appreciated in that was the honesty of everybody. Yeah. And everyone gave feedback. Some of it was tough, not tough uh, because it was directed at you, because it was for your business yep. and for your idea. And to see some of the things that have happened since, because the group is just, the, the responses, the, the things that people are posting on there and the direct communication that we're all having with each other afterwards, which you don't see, 
that's amazing. I sat down, Sam was two seats away from me, and whilst I, whilst he did his presentation, I was thinking, geez, I didn't know you could automate all of that. Yeah. Wow. And suddenly we had a phone call on the Sunday when he was walking his dog. Um, <laughs> we had another call on the Monday, and um, he sent me a document. Uh, I sent him my completed version of it back on Tuesday, uh, no, Monday evening. He was like, geez, you got this finished. Wow, it's amazing. But I only did it because he taught me. Yeah. Yep. And there's, there's something that I've always taught uh, part of, uh, of of the learning process is teach, train, and coach. Teach me something new, train and help me practice, and then coach me to fine-tune my skill over a longer period, and then, uh, then it'll work. If you're a football fan, when a player moves from one team to another, he sits down with the manager, and the manager teaches him the new way to play football yep. in his team, where he fits in, where that cog uh, fits yep. in in the organization. Then they go onto the training ground, and it's called that for a reason, yeah, um, because they train and practice what he's taught him when they sat down. And then when he's on the pitch, the reason why you see the manager on the side shouting and waving his hands around is he's fine-tuning and coaching that practice that he's taught and trained the whole way along. But from from what you've said already and what I know about you is you have tended to always been that manager role. Whereas when you came on the the meeting, you were the you were asking for the help in terms of coming there and putting yourself into an uncomfortable situation as I think you've you said before, because we, we looked at some of where you sit on strengths, weaknesses and the strength line and one of the social elements for you was one of the lowest, which we couldn't believe when you told when when that came on the screen. Like how did you get yourself uh, out of your comfort zone and then still walk through the door get there early uh, and come and put yourself in that position the day that, that part's that part's um easy okay for, for the confidence thing is that's that's simple it's the personal sociable piece yep so in in work i've worked with uh, as we all have hundreds of people over the years or the older you get the more people you work with yep. <laughs> um and i i've kind of wasn't i was a complete work person and work social but outside of that, no one knew anything about me. And okay. I, and it was just, there's a thing called deliberative, which is where you, where you build the wall yep. and only a select few people mm -hmm. get to come over the wall. That was me. Yep. And the social piece, the reason it's so low is because the other aspects of my strengths are so strong that I'm too busy putting in procedures and processes and thinking strategically over a long period that... It's great, but I know those people will come and go. The ones that are going to stay are the ones I build relationships with. And yeah. you, you have people that um, are pretty much like you two guys. Okay. You, you're in it for the journey, and you know what the journey is. And you know it's a time thing, not just a turnover thing. Yes. Um, I was listening to a podcast on the way here that was talking about something very similar, that that journey time is the important part. What it achieves during that is a consequence of, of your goals and your ambitions but the time is the important bit you were talking about um, equity within uh, within a company and how you would uh, have the cliff and then the release and it just makes so much sense in the whole journey piece that you do with with your employees and with your colleagues and how people participate yep. in it because if they know it's a four-year release they're in it for four years yeah and you know you've got the security and the development of those people and they'll deliver what they promise over the time yeah there's a it, there's a mechanism in place for a reason and it helps them as individuals 
to set their goals in the meantime yeah and to drive towards them and then overall as a group you all get the benefit from that because it improves and it grows in both velocity speed and its accuracy of meeting its customer so the one thing you haven't answered is what can we do better where's our weaknesses from the show or what do you want us to do more of what's the things that you get most value out of that we can do more of Wow, that's a that's a really um, really thoughtful question. Uh, one of the things that could be done a lot better is the audience that listens to this podcast could actually participate more and throw in their questions that they're kind of not daring to type because you have that hover moment over the keyboard. And okay. I know because I'd had it. Yeah. Uh, once I came to the meetup, it was like, oh hell, I know half of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yet through the podcast, through one person last week joining. Um, I won't call him out, but he um, he is one of the uh, team members at a non-alcoholic uh, drinks company. And we had an exchange for like 20 minutes on a Friday night where I told him about what I was doing. He gave me some really, really hard, very positive feedback. Yep. I changed stuff. I changed stuff in what I was doing there wow. and then. I amended 18-pack designs. Wow. But I think that's that's one thing that I think me and Harry actually spoke about it when you left us. Uh, you mentioned something uh, during your presentation where someone was speaking about something that resonated with the brand and five minutes later they got off the air uh, and you contacted them and they became a brand ambassador for something that you were working on. Every, every, you, you just casually threw out and you weren't making a point about it but it was clear that when things take place, excuse the little counter thing that's ticking in the background by the way. <laughs> Numbers uh, going up though Adam. We don't know what that number means <laughs> but it's just clear that you t- you've been taking action all the time. Has that always been the way for yourself? Yeah, pretty or much. Is that yeah. just because it's your own business now? Or no, it always no been, it's always been the way. It's always been the way. Um, again, my, my other half would say I get distracted quite easily, but I'm not a kind of dive towards a shiny thing person. Yep. I, it's all about a long play for me. Okay. So I was listening to Five Live, the example that you have. Uh, there was a lady on there talking about um, how fruit drinks were bad for kids, but there was no alternative. And she said it would be as simple as, and she was on for 11 minutes at quarter to eight in the morning. That's like the prime slot. Yeah. Um, and she said it would be great if children could just, if mums and dads could just put a slice of fruit into a glass. <laughs> and I just thought, hallelujah, <laughs> I want to speak to this lady. <laughs> so I, I stopped talking to my other half who was having breakfast, turned the, turned the Alexa to very loud. And she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, be quiet, be quiet. I need to hear her name. What? Wait, what? And I, whilst sitting over breakfast, was listening to this thing whilst talking. Uh, wrote the lady's name down, dived online, found her within a few minutes. She'd literally put the phone down on the end of the broadcast and it rang again and it was me. And just luck, you know, like you right time, right place, right skills, right, right knowledge, and just having the balls to do it. But I also, I also, also think that it was taking the action straight away everyone can take the action but I think one of the things you were saying about what we took away from the meetup was that it wasn't like okay I'll make a note to do that later and then I'll send an email to this person to remind them it was literally like you were making your own voice memos to send a link over to Shane or whatever it was and it was like it was instant and that's what everyone picked up on is that it was it was (laughs) the action was taking place in the room rather than when I get home at night and have have twenty minutes to yeah, think there was about no what I'm procrastination doing. around it, exactly. I love the fact you were on the uh, on the phone with Sam straight away. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get Sam in. Actually, we've got we've got some work for him. And that was what, what was what was interesting <laughs> about that that moment of doing the um, the kind of 
there's something called RNRT, and I've written this a few times on the on the group, right now response time. Mm. There are things that you can do right now that you don't have to write down. You have a Mac, a phone, you can say, hey Siri, uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it will Everyone's work. Everyone's phones are just stopping. <laughs> um, you can, what, what you can do as a, as a um, as a person processing that information is you can, there are things that you can do straight away. There are things that you can do straight away with technology and you don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Like for example, when you're listening to the podcast, you can say those magic words to your phone and your phone will stop the podcast and listen to you. You can make a note from the podcast and it's in your notes. Like most people don't know you can do that. Yeah. If you go to your, in, a, in an iPhone particularly, go to settings, accessibility, and then in accessibility speech, touch speak selection, you can double tap on a PDF and it will speak the whole thing to you. You don't have to read it. I didn't know that. That's a time saver. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I'm really keen to just selfishly dig into is... Uh, presentations. I give presentations day in, day out. It's just part of what I do, whether it's a, an internal presentation to the team. And one thing that I'm really poor at is I put a lot of energy and effort into doing presentations <coughs> for external com- companies when I'm pitching for new business, whereas I need to put the same or if not more attention to detail into the stuff for the team because that's how I sort of get them on the mission and take them along that journey with me. Something that I think I did very poorly for the first few years, but trying to get better at. There's presentations that you gave, and one, the presentation, but two, the deliverability of it, I was just really impressed with. So uh, I want to use this time to sort of say, uh, what makes a killer presentation? Uh, Any top tips for the listeners uh, and key takeaways from not just what goes on the screen, but how you actually interacted with the room? Like, how do you you go around building this? Because everything... The thing that got me more than anything is you gave the presentation uh, around the business that you're in, okay, your startup. And then after the fact, we were talking and you explained that actually the way that you gave a bag and when we opened the bag, you told us to smell it. Everything that you did uh, was as if it was on stage. It was Mm. precision. Uh, None of it was... uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? None of it was shot from the hip. Shot from the hip. <laughs> None of it was shot from the hip, but but it looked so natural. Uh, talk to me about this. This is something that I really, really want to dig into. Wow. Right. Okay. So, um, for those people that are already on the Facebook group, there is a slide that I put up, a single picture of a whiteboard. Uh, that is the entire one-day killer presentation course training. My notes. Yep. Um, and that's how. I present all of the things that I could talk about. Um, there's one thing on there which you picked up, well done, on uh, AIP, <laughs> which is yeah. a company-specific thing. So that's The a- rest of it I could work <laughs> through. I was like, AIP, I'm, I don't know that. So I messaged it. Like, What's AIP? Yeah, it was an internal company, uh, company uh, uh, goal for an individual within a group. So they called it an AIP. Okay. Um, so in the beginning, number one, what do you want to get out of this presentation? So in a presentation... In any sales process, what is the purpose of the first meeting? So, what's the f- when you go to a presentation, either of you, what is the purpose of the of the first meeting? Get the second meeting. That's the only purpose. Yes. Of it. Yep. And the rest, all the stuff that's around it, is when you are going to you're fishing for the information you need out of the mouths or from printed versions of the other people's content yep. that you can then put into the stuff and fine tune it into what you want. So 
the objective in the beginning is yes to get the first meeting in the second meeting what is it that you want to do so to build the presentation you have to talk to your audience about them so i said this in the meetup which is i when i'm teaching this i have a t-shirt on underneath my shirt that says and written in felt tip pen across the chest <laughs> it says talk to me about me and if I turn around, it says, not you, and a few expletives underneath that just yeah. says, I'm not interested in you individually. I'm int- you, I want you to know about me. So if you talk to the audience about them, you're going to have to know things like, what are, your, what are their KPIs? What are they actually targeting? If you go and present mm-hmm. to a big national company, one of the guys on the, um, on the stu- uh, startup podcast, uh, sorry, the um, Facebook group posted that he was going to present to a major account in the US this week. I guarantee that he would have read their annual report yep. and he would have read the chairman's statement. And in the chairman's statement would have been the company objectives for the year. Mm-hmm. All of those objectives would have been already filtered down to all the people. So his content would have touched something or multiple things in that document because it was publicly available. If you're going to pitch to a small business, you're going to have those conversations and find out those things. The other thing when you make a presentation is you have to remember that the presenter is the presentation it's wallpaper behind you if you're standing up yeah yeah if you're showing it then one of the things that everybody can do is i can read three times faster than you can read out loud mm-hmm. so if you have three paragraphs i'm at the bottom before you finish the mm-hmm. top one yep. so when you present you you reveal the points one by one you never ever ever read the slide because the customer can read. That's why they went to school. Yep. <laughs> you, you write the words on the slide and you paraphrase what it is that you want to say. When you paraphrase what you, it is you want to say, you're saying something that matches the slide behind you, mm-hmm. the, the words behind you, but doesn't say what it says. I've got a question on this. Is what happens in the situation where I'm going to present to, I don't know, I'm presenting to the marketing manager? Uh, but I know that that presentation is going to get passed up for sign-off. Okay, before you start, yep. um, there is a presentation that you present to the marketing manager, which is maybe, let's call it 12 slides, yep. and he only needs three for his boss. Yep. So you've got to do a presentation that condenses down the points that you know are important to him into three slides, because that's all you've got with his boss. You've already done them before you start. You're good. Never thought about that. Okay. <laughs> Never thought about that. So I guess what you're doing is you're saying, listen, here's the 12 slides. This is so you understand and we're on the same page. And you're actually doing the work for that marketing manager. You're saying, and this is this is the summary. 100%. So that makes that marketing manager look good to their boss. My presentation to the guys in the meetup was, I think, 30... so obvious when you say it out loud. <laughs> it's so obvious. I think my presentation was 39 slides. It's very heavy because it has everything in it. But yep. if I'm talking to people, I want to kind of get what I'm doing. I'll show them the the biggest deck I have. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Not that sort of show. (laughs) Uh, I'll show them the full deck, and then and then when you come when you come to do that with um, with a particular customer, then you've kind of honed it down. You've distilled it into the key elements that you think are going to hit their KPIs or yep. their interest. The other one is everyone learns in different ways. Now, this is going to be quite uh, complicated, but it's not. It's the easiest way to explain it and keep it as simple as possible. People learn in three ways. Visual, 
auditory and kinesthetic. There are more ways that you learn. If you Google this VAK or visual auditory and kinesthetic, then you'll find some great um, images on Google where you can see the uh, the variations of all of those mm-hmm. and how they subsector into different uh, different groups. But if you look at it broadly as visual, I want to see it, read it, and remember it. Yep. Okay. Auditory, I like to listen to it. Visual links back to writing it down as well. Mm-hmm. So I listen to it, look at it, write it down. Auditory, speak to me, hear it. I, like podcast, all the podcast listeners are heavily auditory learners. Yep. Because they can do that. Most of them don't take notes. And the reason is because I guess, as you probably are at the moment, Mr. Podcast Listener, Mrs. Podcast Listener, you're driving mm-hmm. or you're mobile. Um, but then there's the kinesthetic part and the kinesthetic part is the learning touching feeling uh, experiencing and we're all different but if i if i put some people into boxes at the moment okay so if you went to university and did a degree you had to sit in rooms and it was drummed into you for three years that you need to look learn mm-hmm. read write repeat yeah yeah it wasn't about practical experience of getting your hands dirty doing stuff yep um so people who are who have done a degree and three or five years of training aren't so much touch it feel it experience it people in general Mm -hmm. okay they may have a learning technique that's different but that's broadly broadly one way of understanding ah that's why the accountant likes to look at a sheet of paper and doesn't is not interested Mm -hmm. in the product like if you put a product on the table with a buyer some buyers don't even touch it show me the spreadsheet yeah yeah. Show me the numbers. Yeah. yeah, I want to see the margin. Mm. Yeah, let me have a look. You can you can put that into a presentation. So every point that you want to make has a visual, an auditory, and a kinesthetic. When I pulled out the bag to yep. experience it, what I'm after is I'm after engaging one of the senses. So on my slide that you can see, there is a whole list of senses. And I need to, when I'm presenting, actually show that in different ways. So smell something, taste something, see something, hear something. Yep. That, and then you can touch the different techniques that people learn by. And if you've done that, then guess what? You've taught, mm. you've trained, and once you're in, you're coaching and you're helping them. So those three things, link visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, all link together so that you can absorb, your audience can absorb the information. If I'm presenting to a room of 100 people, 500 people, 5,000 people, yep. Okay. Uh, put your hands up if your boss asked you to come to this presentation training okay everyone lifts their hands up you know what happens when you lift your hand up the blood comes out of your arm okay it's harder to push up when you put your hand down there's more blood in your brain (laughs) right and guess what (laughs) (laughs) keep mine right up (laughs) and guess what i also found out all of the people in the room that actually want to participate yeah okay so uh, how many people in the room um can can see something Um, see look visual there are words and phrases that you can use during a presentation that where you can see the audience engagement yeah when you ask a question and you know that 100% of the audience can put their hand up how many of people put their hand up everybody no okay so so call them out come on hand up all the people in the room oh you saw me do this okay I put a slide up during the presentation and said to everybody you'll want to take a picture of this next slide so everybody get out your phones because I knew that the next slide that was coming up was going to have the Strengths Finder book on it 
and yep. together with my strengths. So I told them to all get their phones out. Nine people in the room got their phones out and they all switched them on. Do you know how many people have bought the book? Probably all of us, I assume. I think seven. Seven. No, I haven't seen that you bought it. Bought okay. it, haven't done it, haven't it. done okay. it yet. So all the people that have done it and posted a photograph of the book when it arrived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I've got, well, from now, I think I've got 100% of my audience that spent 13 pounds, not with me, but because I told them to. Yep. I didn't ask them to. I told them to go buy it. And here's the, because guess what? If I had put that slide up, no one would ever have remembered. It's little things like that that, that are so tactical because you're like, do an action, get it out in terms of take the camera. Like make your audience move and do something. Like how do you get, how do you get stuff like that? Are you trying to get things like that into every element, the the, the visual, audio, and kinesthetic to the core points you're trying to drive into the presentation? Always. So every everyone in the room, regardless of how they learn, if you're trying to deliver three, four, five key points to the presentation, you're hitting those three ways for each point. There's also is an, that the goal? There's also another thing that sits on top of that, which okay. is which is when you talk to an audience of a hundred people, okay, thirty percent of them. Yes, they want to be there. Thirty percent of them, no, they don't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the middle bit, the maybes, are the ones you've got to convince. Mm-hmm. So you're only working on trying to convert thirty-three to sixty-six. Forget about the thirty-three who aren't participating. Don't okay. let them chisel away at your ego or pride. Yeah. Okay. Because you're delivering bloody great content. Yeah. And you know, having done lots of presentations, you go into a room, there are four people or five people or however many you're presenting to when you're pitching. Mm-hmm. One of them's tagging along just to get out of doing his normal spreadsheets yep. you know, or whatever he's doing. They're just a tackle. They don't participate. They don't say a word. They just sit there and mm-hmm. burn time of their employer. Yep. Um, whereas what you want is participation. So, so get them to participate. Why? Because no one normally does. They're the tag along, you know, yeah. and they'll deliver value and they'll, they'll give you the piece of information that tells you what the company KPI mm-hmm. is, what they're in the room, their KPI is, or what they're trying to achieve because they're there for that reason. What's the, what's the biggest mistakes when you're sitting in the audience? What's the biggest mistakes that you see other people make during Simple. presentations? Number one, they read the slide. Read the slide. I can fucking read. Okay. <laughs> Number two, what's the second mistake that people are making right now? Uh, they say what it says. What do you mean? They add no value. It's a statement. I can read it. Okay. There's no value added to it. So okay. tell me a story that sits around mm-hmm. it. Give me an example of how that worked. Tell me something that I didn't know before you showed me that slide. Okay. And if it's a massive spreadsheet and you're talking about the numbers in the far left-hand corner, flipping well highlight it so I can see it because I wear glasses and I'm like 10 meters away and I can't read it. Like, Makes sense. Like, give me, give me the info. Like, there's a there's a piece where you, when you present a, um, a slide with numbers on it, yep. um, pure numbers or a grid of information, your audience doesn't know which number they're looking at yep. until you highlight it. it out. Okay, the third line down. Okay, I've got to hold my hand up and my finger and go one, two, three. Okay, you can do three. It's really easy visually, but beyond three, you can't do it. Okay. You you need the slide, yeah. the, the section to be highlighted. highlighted. Yeah. yeah. And then show me the end. So if there's a great big piece of data up on a screen, one what is the actual purpose of that? What are you trying to tell me? I think that's one of the things that came across in each of these slides is everyone had a specific purpose. And even I'm I do this all the time where I and it might from the conversation we had, it's probably because I haven't identified the 
the key KPIs I need to get on the site. I have, I have, um, I have slides for the sake of slides sometimes to make sure, like a shotgun approach. It's like just in case this is important, Hide it's it. in there. Okay, so um, on PowerPoint, um, you will if you build a presentation of forty slides for a customer and it's got absolutely everything in it, yeah. you're going to have a bunch of slides that you don't necessarily need in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in the slide, you can write down. So for example, you might have um, the costs. Yep. There's a top line cost, and then underneath that is the detail of the cost. Mm -hmm. But you've not got the detail in. You're just showing the top line cost. Yep. But you know he might ask, or they might ask, for the detail. So you hide that slide, okay? But you've written on a post-it notepad that sits on your laptop, slide 7, 14, 19, and 24. Okay, 19 is the detail slide on the costing. So on the keyboard, you just type 1, 9, return, and it goes straight to the underhides that hidden slide and mm. shows it next so you Pro don't tip. have to do the you don't have to do all of the slides you can have the key slides or if for example someone asks a question in the presentation and they say um, but what about this and you know that's all about the what's in it for me slide yep. that you've already done that slide 24 you just type slide 24 return and there's it's the next slide that's a pro tip and that must look so slick from a presentation perspective. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd ask that. It's there, not like that. And, and the other, and the other one is, um, and I highlighted this quite a bit with the guy. I think four times in the presentations uh, in the meetup was that people were presenting their um, services in like three blocks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is my package A, my package B, my package C. Package A was always the cheapest. And it always makes me smile because this goes back to my monster cable days. You always presented best, better, good. And the reason is when you present best first, there's a price for that. And it doesn't matter if it's bloody expensive. Yep. Okay, It's way over what the customer was expecting. Underneath says all of the little things that you're going to do in that version, that, um, that package. And then the next one might come down 30%, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have all of the elements in. So the person who's watching sees what you've taken away and sees that the value went, the cost went down a third, but the value to go up is different. Uh, what do you mean? So if- Oh, if, sorry. Yes, got it. Yeah? Yeah. So if, if a package has, it costs 30% less, yep. then the value of the things on the other side is actually 30%, but I actually want them yep. because you've just taken something away from me. Yes. If you imagine with your children, if you have three things in front and you take away one, which one do they want? <laughs> it's the one you took away. Yep. Yeah. So best, better, good selling is, Mr. Customer, would you like to get the very best picture and sound performance for your new TV? Oh, yes, please. I'm gonna show you the best product yep. that gives you the best performance. And you're gonna go, oh, geez, that's expensive. And we go, well, Mr. Customer, mm. I've got this one that doesn't do quite as much. It doesn't have feature benefit A, B, C, but the value is 30% less. And then there's this one, the lowest price, which has two or three things again missing. And we're gonna play Goldilocks and the three bears. The porridge is <laughs> too hot, too cold, just right. But you they're buying one buy of the them. middle one. Yeah, you'll buy the middle one. But what happens is it was done on an offer. Yep. So if we go back to McDonald's, and I'll kind of create the circle on this one, which is you walk into McDonald's, you say, I, I ask, could I have a Big Mac? And the guy behind the counter says, would you like fries with that? Yep. He offers it 100% of the time. He never ever says, oh, sir, 
Would you like to try this wonderful strip of processed potato deep fried in the finest vegetable oil covered in a crispy coating of sea salt that makes you want to drink? And the fry chef. Don't get me started about the fry chef. He was trained in the school of fry oil management in Vienna. I worked at a McDonald's back in the day, so that could have been me. So... He never sold it to you. He yep. only offered. offered. So whenever anyone says the word upsell, whoop, 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 no, that's not what it's about. It's about a 100% offer. Why? Mm. Because a customer came in feeling hungry. Mm. So let's feed them. And that's the McDonald's uh, motto. It's their methodology, or sorry, not motto. It's their methodology rolled yep. into one. And that's the reason why when... I'm when I was listening to some of the guys that were that were talking during the meetup. That's why there were so many opportunities for them. Yeah, because they had they could switch their model to best, better, good selling. They'll sell more of the middle package, guaranteed. Yeah, um, because people will come down. They'll know the value of the things that they're not getting. But more importantly, those things that they're not getting, they will add back in in the future. Why? Because they know what they're missing. Yeah. It's like me selling you a pair of jeans and not offering you a belt. Yep. Why do people never offer belts? It's another 20 quid. Your one that you have at home is all like manky and like worn out with the edges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if I offered it every time I mm-hmm. sold a pair of jeans, they were always, the selection of belts were literally in between each jeans. They'd add another 20 pound sale. Just off the back of the meetup, this whole, I've never heard of attachment selling in my life before that my mind was you can imagine my mind was I was like what do we sell and what are we not offering right now and we're sort of building a process around our website package in terms yep. of when they when they have this product uh, I'll, I'll actually try and remember the, th- the thing I said to Matt uh, your websites yes understand you want to have a website do you want to get found online yes well we've got this SEO package that we're starting to build that process yep. right now yep and it's so, it's when you, it's kind of like one of those eureka moments when you kind of discover it and more importantly, you get it. Because when you walk into a Starbucks, do they make the assumption that you want large or do they ask you if you want large? Ask you. Okay. So listen uh, to the questions that they actually I would ask. say Starbucks says, is that a large? Okay. So, and I'm always like, mm, is it a large? <laughs> like they confuse me, I find. But maybe that's just my simple mind. But how often... Do you make the choice? Yeah. 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 Because it's presented to you. Exactly. So it's a 100% offer every customer, every product, every time. The thing I like about this is after I heard it is we've got people in the other room uh, who hate selling. They hate Mm -hmm. it, but they love doing it. uh, They love serving their customers. Like especially I've got one guy in there, Matthew Ford. Honestly, he came into the business and day two he's he's in tears on the phone thinking, I don't want to speak to people. I don't want to sell to them. Once we positioned it differently is that don't sell to them, just offer them. Offer yep. them the product. Mm-hmm. You're trying to help them. You're a service proposition. And the service means if the customer needs it, wants it, and desires it, mm-hmm. you can provide that service proposition. It's really simple. It's about pull, not push. So not it's not a push offer. Yep. It's a pull. Pull because I'm showing you the benefits and the value proposition. So there's something called a a benefit value proposition, which is where you can put 
for example, you have a phone case or a phone on the table, Harry, and your phone cost uh, north of six hundred pounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a long way north of six hundred pounds. But if I just take your take your phone now and drop it, uh, where am I? About four and a half feet, a meter. Look a bit nervous, a bit. Now, yeah, Harry. That, would, that case isn't the best. <laughs> okay, so um, so how much is it going to cost to repair it? I dread to think. Okay, so three hundred pounds. It's yeah, it's at least one hundred and fifty, I think. Okay, for this particular model. I mean, yeah, for a cheap screen that's not Apple. Yeah. So, so if so if I drop it, you're going to have that to, back, right? Now. You're going to have to pay that pay that money out to go get it repaired. Yeah. Equally, uh, you might have insurance, but you've still got an excess. Yeah. Yeah, and your excess is probably ninety nine pounds. So if we switch that, and I can offer you a case for about thirty, mm-hmm. would you like to? Have you thought about how you're going to protect your new phone? I don't feel like you're going to end up with a new case at the end of this. <laughs> so the, the idea is I offer it to you, but I explain the benefit. Yep. Mm. So you might, not, you might not have insurance, number one. Uh, you may not have a case. So if we put a case on it and protect it and you drop it like that, okay. It's got a case on, but just, my, my stomach's yeah. saying, yeah. I was like, "Was that my phone?" But but just on that as well is off the back of this, uh, we had our meetup, uh, and obviously learning about the work that you do with Curry's PC World. Uh, I don't know, like four days later or something. Oh no, sorry, it was the next day. I think it was the next, very next morning. I'm, I'm in an airport, Birmingham Airport, and I'm in. Uh, I go into PC World, Curry's, whatever it's called. Uh, Dixon's Travel. Dixon's Travel. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, and, and I'm in there, and I'm. Uh, I don't know what we're looking for, something, adapter or something. Uh, another dongle, most no, probably likely. Probably another dongle. <laughs> uh, and I, I went to him, I said, I said, you heard of uh, something called Tech 21? I think it was Tech 21. Uh, and he was like, yeah. And I went, come and play with it. And he brought it out and he presented it in terms of how it works. And it was everything that you said. I was like, that's so interesting. I said, I was with a chap yesterday who was sort of teaching us about this, who, who was involved in sort of rolling this out. Uh, a chap called Stephen, he went, Stephen May. And I was like, Stephen May. And he then wrapped it around my finger and hit it with a hammer. <laughs> like such a small world. It was ama- yeah. Honestly, it was amazing. And, and just to see everything from what you taught on that day. And it's great seeing it and hearing it. But then physically walking into a shop and experiencing it. So I'll give you an example. It works. This, this is really good, okay? Um, the last time I engaged with those guys in that store, in that chain, was five and a half years ago. Wow, and that and it the experiential piece, um, the kinesthetic bit. Yep. Because that that particular demonstration is all about kinesthetic. Yep. Um, is about getting them to experience it themselves and then repeat the I can't believe story. Um, it resonated for five and a half years, and it did. It just I did that when I was working with Tech Twenty One, but the the material transferred to a different brand mm-hmm. called Gear Four. Um, and it's now in Gear Four product, but the the experience of the demonstration, the memory over five and a half years with people who have stayed in the business that yep. long, they still do the demonstration. How he remembered my name, I don't know. Yeah, I literally cannot believe the fact that was five and a half years ago because he spoke about it as if it was last week. Yep. yep. And part of part of when you do whenever you do a presentation, you're trying to engage with the memory element. And this goes into kind of some consumer behavioral psychology, which is kind of a, another area. But anyone Something that's, I'm super fascinated in. Anyone that. that's listening to the podcast that knows anything about uh, engagement psychology would understand that every almost everything I've spoken to on learning and behavior and engagement is all linked into that part, which is as a 
consumer, we are buying more and more often. I think Shane uh, Shane Williams. Shane Williams? Yep. Yep, Shane Williams said on his uh, podcast, he was talking about experiential elements and swiping with your thumb left and right and up and down. And when I spoke to him the first time, I'm like, wow, what an amazing insight. That just tells me so much about consumer. And I learned a huge amount from that. But when when you're doing behavioral psychology, it's all about how the consumer reacts to what you put in front of them. And then when you watch it and you see it, you can categorize it to know the flow of your presentation. And that may be your flow of presentation to someone you're selling to or even internally um, you're knowing your audience and knowing where they're going based on what you say, show, and they see. Last question for me on presentations. How do you prepare for a presentation? And then how often do you change it? <laughs> um, how do I prepare for a presentation? Um, again, that's on the slide. There's a little circle in the center. Um, so you start off with one objective. What is the one objective of your presentation? You write it down. Mm-hmm. And you, you know it's not to make a sale. It's, it's, to, it's some element of, for example, with Fruits for Drinks, uh, the, per, the purpose of all of the presentations is for the audience to realize how much profit they're missing out on. It's okay. nothing to do with fruit. Yep. Um, and how we can generate that profit. And, and what they have to do in order to get it. So a journey of look at the size of the price, look what you could have had. Yep. It's that uh, bullseye, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> could have won a speedboat. <laughs> um, we, we set that right at the beginning. Um, and then uh, in, in doing the presentation, you have to make everything in small circles. Um, so you so you touch on a point and then you come back to it because you give the audience time to think about it. You yeah. don't you don't give them the question and then the answer because they want they need time to process it. Give me an example of that. Like just oh. that's really hard to put on the spot. Um, what you say, creating small circles? Do you mean physically? Uh, we're, we're talking about one of the key points in the slide in the presentation, and okay, you're give, re-emphasizing give, okay. that point. Okay. Um, so packaging so on the fruits for drinks packaging we have a we have um a glasses in the center it's a white package with um black sketched glasses yep. so uh, we originally started off with a big a copper glass which is not copper c-o-p-a copper glass which is a gin and tonic glass yep. or style um we use that on the on the packaging and then we developed it and thought no we actually need a long tumbler and then we thought well we need a short tumbler as well because that's the three different styles of drinks that you'll put fruit into. So in the beginning, we had one pack. And what I wanted to show was the pack that we started with, which was three glasses. And then the second shot is of where we've ended up. Yep. So you can see that the glasses changed. Why, Mr. Customer? Because I don't want to aim at just the gin drinkers. I want to get vodka and rum. So I can, I'm looping mm, my story round smart. to widen my market. Um, I want them to see that we're not perfect. Yep. We don't get it right every time, but we will always improve. Yesterday I sat down with somebody and they gave me some very, very constructive criticism on my packaging. I had 13, 19 different product packs that were changed within an hour of that meeting finishing. And two things, two fundamental things. There was a new piece printed in the bottom left-hand corner of the pack and another thing printed on the back of the pack because I'd considered them as we were going through the journey and yep. I'd gone, well, I'll leave that. I'm not, I don't really think that works. Yep. Uh, but they pointed it out in terms of 
credit to Sam in the in the group. Um, that customer journey that Sam and I wrote for my customers, I used, and there was a block in there that said exactly what should have been on the pack, and I hadn't done it. But it was only a week ago that I realized that there was a gap, yep. and someone pointed it out, I was able to change it. So in answer to your other question, which is all about how often do you change it, every time someone speaks to me. Okay. It's just continuously changed. I think my version at the moment is on 8.75. So every time you change a presentation, just change the file name. Yep. So you so you know which version you're up to. Yep. Uh, but also, it's hours and hours and hours. And in the car on the way here, I was having a conversation with um, one of um, my partner, and as a result of that, I'm going to go back this weekend and completely rework my presentation. I think that's one of the things that I've learned over probably the last few years is I, I used to build a presentation, try and perfect it, try and get it absolutely perfect and then just go and present and let my and try and let my salesmanship do the work. Uh, and now I'm really understanding, uh, and I guess it's from coming from a background of doing more selling, more harder selling in, the, in my old previous role uh, to more understand, listen, tweak. The same way we build our business, which is... Uh, I'm trying to get this right. Continuous ongoing feedback. It's uh, fire, aim, no, aim, fire, adjust, or something to that. And (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll try and get there in the end. But it's all around this continuous improvement. Uh, And I think think from a presentation perspective, I think most people do fall into that same build it, present it, and just keep running with the same thing. If you always have a notepad when you're doing a presentation and someone gives you a question... Whatever question they ask, regardless of what it is, you just write the slide number down on the notepad. If you've got time, you write the question down. Yep. Okay. But normally you've got a wingman with you that can write the question down. You have to then put the answer to that question in the slide before the one they asked the question because they had to have time to think about it. And whatever the question is, you'll, you'll know mm. what it was, what sentence you wrote yep. that they then saw... Oh, I need that prompted to, it. Uh, yeah, that yeah. triggered the response mechanism. So what happens is you you may completely change the slide before in order to answer the question. For example, customers regularly ask, and then yeah, then you have that answer, mm. or you you go back in the slide deck a few slides back and you you put in the thing that says why you have the solution to that question, yep. not what the solution is. Yep. And then the audience, the next time you show it, there may be something different again. There's always questions. But it's, it's just so similar to, in terms of what you do here with the onboarding. So mm. when we're onboarding a new customer into our SaaS product is the questions that they ask us, how do I do this? Because we don't want to answer them every time. We build a how-to or a guide or, or, or explain the value prop before they answer it. And it feels like it's exactly the same thing from a presentation perspective. The one, the one thing I learned this week um, when doing something on the website was I wrote all the frequently asked questions, which is immensely difficult for someone who knows the product inside out. Yeah, It's like really, really I, I didn't really how hard that yeah. would be um, and I wrote it and I kind of there was I don't know 40 questions on the list and I was like yeah so I posted it and I was like yeah and I dropped down menu and one was about taste and then you could have all the taste questions one was about manufacturing and and there are I think four four subsections I know I should be able to remember them off the top of my head but for some <laughs> reason I, can't, okay. um, and I did it and I posted it and three days later I sat up in bed and just went I am an idiot because the heading says frequently asked questions 
we'll answer all the questions you ask. And there's no space at the bottom of the page to ask a question. Ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> so the form went in, the form got added, and, and it, it became it became a thing. But that's when you just know you're not perfect. And you know that things have to be shaped and reshaped and molded and developed. And you have to, as a founder or as a, as a leader, take be able to take not just your own criticism, but other people's. Yep. And and get better continuously uh, as I think Alison said a couple of days ago on the uh, on the group uh, there is um, if plan A goes wrong there's plan B but there's also the rest of the alphabet to do exactly <laughs> <laughs> Stephen I could honestly do this all day I really really enjoy just sitting down and talking to you and I'm, I, I literally learn something new every single time while we've got you on the mics is there anything that you want the listeners of the show to know about that you're working on that can help you right now wow um, or oh, any requests if you're are you looking for advice any because we've got some ama- as you know we've got amazing people in the community is there something that someone can hear and reach out and help if you had a request for the listeners what would it be uh, one outside of the UK really so beyond the, beyond the UK shores um, part of part of what I'm doing with our fruits for drinks proposition is to put uh, freeze dried garnish make it available as a convenient solution to consumers in their own homes because we all undo the bottom drawer and see the shriveled lemon and lime. Um, that's my focus has been almost entirely in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is a global proposition. I also own fruits for liquors for America and then the German, French, Spanish, Italian and Portuguese versions of the same thing. Um, but I've... <laughs> that sounds like a very Adam Callow thing to be honest with you. <laughs> buy them all. Yeah, yeah buy it all. <laughs> Get it done. We're going big. <laughs> all going home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and really, it's inside the drinks industry, it's an industry I've never worked in before. I've come from in from the outside. I've come in from the attachment selling area. I think I've got an awful lot to offer in that category. But it, in every country, there's a different way of selling um, for example in Norway uh, Sweden uh, you can't sell alcohol in any other way than through government run stores okay. which I did not know until yeah, so four weeks local ago. nuances that you yeah. need to learn yeah. fairly fast and, and it's really just um, people in the drinks and um, food and beverage on trade area it's just a just for guidance as we head on our journey you'll all find me on the uh, fairly regularly in the Facebook group uh, posting. I have always loads of questions, but I'm more than happy to share. I think my business plan is already up there from the very first day. Yep. I was kind of keen to share that and, and get some feedback on it because start small, get big. Um, but really, it's it's a case of, for me, it's a massive, massive thank you to you guys because for north of 280 episodes now, yep. um, wow. you've, you've been sparing all of us um, your time every single week to give us tips, advice, uh, a view from the trenches, bullets and all, uh, bombs occasionally. <laughs> um, and I, I remember writing a, um, a review saying, uh, I think it was titled Standing on the Edge of a Cliff, and uh, you couldn't read E-C-E-P-E-T at the time. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I really felt like listening to the podcast, I wasn't standing on the edge of a cliff. It was more like you were holding our hands to do a step up. And, uh, and to lift us and all the people on the podcast. I know that um, you're the viewing audience that I've met all appreciate it to the same level as, as I have. But it gave me the inspiration to actually go, you know what, I'm going to do it. So thanks for the, the push, the nudge and the helping hand. No, Thank uh, you. Yeah, hu- hugely appreciate the kind words. And I think from 
from our side is we enjoy doing the show uh, because it one uh, it gives us an opportunity to sort of like just voice what's going on in the business uh, but the best thing that's happening in the last sort of I'd say probably mainly in the last 12 months is the community we've built around it uh, yeah. I'm meeting people that are experts in areas and I can I can pick up the phone to you and ask advice on presentations or so, that level of the community we've built literally is is probably the best probably the most proud thing that I've built in the last 12 months isn't what we've done at Expert Trades it's it's genuinely the podcast and the community we've built around it uh, so huge thank you for being part of that and such an amazing contributor uh, if someone is listening and they think actually I can probably help you with something. If they're not in the Facebook group, how can they reach out to you? What's the best way? Well, the number one thing is join the Facebook group, guys, because <laughs> that's really important. And if like you, beco- you become like part it. of the community, you know, <laughs> take action or unsubscribe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and by the way, don't be an asshole. <laughs> Alison, I said I'd do that for you. Um, it, it would be to, uh, to email me at Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, at Fruits for Drinks. F-O-R drinks.com and uh, yeah I'd be glad to hear from anybody so thank you very much on that note Stephen thank you very much (laughs) 